For those of you who don't know who I am, uh, my name is Pastor Dave Mergens, and I have been, oh, I've been in ministry for a long time. Uh, I've done a lot of youth ministry over the years. Uh, I've, for the, for the last decade, I've been doing adult ministry, and I am the pastor of adult formation at Alexandria Covenant Church, and I'm good friends with your pastors, who I heard were out of town, and Pastor Tim said, hey, uh, we'd love for you to come and share, and then I asked, well, what would you like me to share about? And he said, whatever you want. And I'm like, oh, that's always really dangerous to say to a pastor when you're like, hey, you can preach on whatever topic you'd like to preach. And I'm like, okay, we got the Super Bowl today, we have Valentine's Day coming up, we have the Lent season, we have all these things, and I'm not talking about any of them. (laughs) I'll actually be speaking about a passage in Acts uh, that is close to my heart that you just heard read. And so if you would bow with me and pray with me and for me as we look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Bethlehem Covenant. I thank you for all the people represented here, God, that they are your children, uh, that this community is a better community because of the family of God that worships here in this building, that all the families that are represented here, God, that you may continue to bless them, that they might see the value of your word, that your Holy Spirit would continue to lead them and guide them as they live and work in this area and do ministry with each other and for each other, God. Thank you so much, Lord, for the privilege to speak this morning. I pray that it would be your words and not mine that communicate the truth, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are all part of something bigger. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I was down in Chicago for the Covenant Midwinter, and Covenant is not my background. Uh, I actually grew up Missouri Synod Lutheran. I ended up worshiping then at a non-denominational church for a while. I've worked at a Presbyterian church. I've spent about 10 years in the Baptist General Conference, and now I'm transferring my ordination into Covenant. So I spent some time at Covenant Midwinter going through history of the Covenant, which, yep, it has its moments. Uh, It was about 70 hours of pre-reading before the class, and it's been 20 years since I've done that amount of schoolwork for a class uh, since grad school, and I'm like, okay, so I got through it and went through it and spent all that time learning about the covenant, and I, I fell more in love with the denomination as a result of that. And here's why, because it made me realize that we're all part of something. And truly, the covenant as a denomination was rooted in These two things, people that had a deep, deep love for Scripture, for God's Word as the truth, as our guide, code of conduct, our ethic, uh, the way we worship as our standard for authority, and for a changed life. That if we really believe in what God says in His Word and we follow it, then our lives will be different. Right? That, that that's what this does, that we don't just come to church because we should, although sometimes it can feel that way, but that if we follow Christ then there's something that's different about us. Our lives are just radically altered. And as I was thinking about it, I, I just I, I fell in love with, with the church family for this reason, because God gave us to each other, and the evidence of our love, as you heard in the children's story, is really our worship of God. Like, as we worship God, we just naturally love each other and care for our neighbor, because that's the result of it, if we do what Jesus did. And as I was processing things, um, this has been on my heart for a while, the whole topic of mission and mentoring. And the presence of this is super profound in our lives when we have mentoring and we have a mission, but it's also really noticeable if we don't, right? That if we're going through life and we're wondering what it is we're supposed to do and we don't have 
people to guide us and teach us and make us better, then we kind of are aimless. And so mission and mentoring are so important. In fact, the Christian movement wouldn't be here today if it was not for those two things. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Acts chapter 11, because I want you to see this. Um, I don't want you to just take my word for it. Whenever I preach, my assumption is this, that everyone in the audience is going to compare what I say to God's word, because that's the authority. And so I would pray that you would be able to look at it, and the Holy Spirit I know can give you insight into this as you dive into it with me. Uh, A little background as we get into this. Some background on Antioch is this. Um, Up until this moment in the book of Acts, there was one church, and that was the church in Jerusalem. So you had all of the new believers in Jesus Christ. They knew about his death, his resurrection. They had the gospel, and they had this church in Jerusalem that was just blowing up. It was expanding. People were excited about the faith, and then there were some persecution moments. So you have Saul and his group of people that were persecuting the followers of the way, which is what they called it at that point, and Stephen was martyred, and then all of a sudden the people in Jerusalem who were worshiping Jesus scattered. It caused them to just flee because of all the persecution. So you have this church. It was the first church. Now it's kind of dispersed a little bit. And there's this man called Barnabas whose original name was actually Joseph. (laughs) Kind of fascinating. If you go back to Acts chapter 4 verse 32, you'll see some more about this. But his actual name was Joseph. But they gave him the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, because he was an encourager. So they saw this man's spiritual gift, that he was really good at going into people's lives and sharing encouraging things, challenging them, being that kind of individual who you just want on your side to encourage you when things aren't going well. That was Barnabas, because that's how they identified his spiritual gifting, and they gave him a name as a result of that. A little side note, I love to do this. I've got three girls that are my own daughters that I live with, and uh, one is 11, 13, and 15, so they're all kind of in that that teenage sweet spot or close to it, and one of the things that I do with my daughters is this. I've given each of them a name that's different from their name. I call them by a virtue, by a characteristic, because it's something that I identify about them that I see that God does in their life, something special about them, and it's also encouragement to see themselves in in their spiritual gifting. So each one of them has a name, and I got to think that the original disciples did something like this with the people that they named as well, that when they saw men like Joseph, who was encouraging, then they said, you're now Barnabas because you're an encourager. So that was this man that we're going to be talking about, this Barnabas. He may have met Jesus, but he was definitely influenced by the disciples. So we don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us whether or not he actually met the risen Christ or Christ before he was crucified. He was there at the same time. But we for sure know that the ministry that the disciples had impacted him profoundly. And so he was a follower of Jesus as a result of their ministry. He was also a Levite. He was a native of Cyprus, a Jew of the Diaspora. So when when nations would conquer nations during that day, they'd go in and they'd just split people up and relocate them all over the place. And so the Jews, the Diaspora, were kind of split up all over. And Barnabas was a Levite, so he was part of the priestly group of people from Israel, and he was put on the island of Cyprus. That's where he was from, that's where he grew up. Uh, Whether or not he was born there or not, we don't know, but that's where he came from. So he was of the Jewish people, but not uh, from Jerusalem. 
So we have in Jerusalem, the gospel is spreading. Jerusalem's the main church. Antioch is about to become the focal point. So previously, everything went in and through Jerusalem. People knew that that was the main church, and now that is about to shift a little bit. Stephen was martyred, the church was dispersed, and people were coming to faith. And when people were coming to faith, the church at Jerusalem got curious about what was happening. So they heard that in Antioch, there were a whole bunch of people that were now experiencing the faith of Christ. They were following him, they were living into this new relationship with him, and so they're like, what is going on? So what they did is they called up Barnabas and said, hey, why don't you go on our behalf to check out what's taking place in Antioch so that we can send some representation there from the church, the only church at the time. So that's where he went. Jerusalem sent Barnabas. He was about to become the very first church planter and the very first part of the very first church plant in Antioch. It was a hinge moment that we don't see this until chapter 13 because chapter 12 in Acts is a little bit of an aside. It goes backwards chronologically. But in chapter 13 and forward, throughout the rest of the book of Acts, Antioch is the church. It's the focal point of the entire book as far as the church is concerned. So all that to being said, here's my question for you. If someone asks you because they notice you're a little different, right? And, and maybe, you know, you, you just the way that you live and you care about people and you're like, well, there's something just unique about you. What is different about you? If somebody asks you that, then you tell them you're a Christian, Christian right? The first time that term was ever used was here in Acts chapter 11 at the church of Antioch. The first time that that term was used, they were first called Christians at Antioch. It all started there. So think about this. Because of the mission of the early church, hundreds and hundreds of years prior to our time, thousands of years, that we now have a title that was passed down because of the faith of one group of people in the ancient Near East. We're here today because of mission. Because some people thought it was valuable <laughs> to send a representative from a church to go start a church in Antioch where people were first called Christians, we now call ourselves Christians. If I were to ask each and every one of you, and I would want to know this too because this is so fascinating to me when you start asking people what your spiritual lineage is, what would you say? Um, I gave you a little bit of my, my background uh, pastorally, but here's the thing. My parents grew up Catholic, and because they wanted to get married outdoors and the priests wouldn't do it, they found a Lutheran church to go to, right? So I was baptized as an infant in a Lutheran church and grew up Lutheran until sixth grade, and in sixth grade, I was in confirmation, and i looking around the room, and the, the kids in sixth grade just didn't care about God's word. They were being super distracting, and I was like, is this really what church was about? I had enough of a presence of mind as a sixth grader to think God was something more than this. So then my friends attended a youth group at a different church, so I said, hey, can I go to that church? And I go to that church, and I hear the youth pastor say something really significant about God's word, about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he also said, hey, who wants to go on a missions trip? And being you know, a sixth grade boy, I was like, sweet, I'm going. Like, a missions trip, that sounds like fun. I went on this missions trip, 
And for the first time in my life, I met Jesus Christ. The youth pastor said, hey, before we get up and we do these work projects, why don't you take this Bible, he gave me a Bible, and why don't you go and spend some time reading God's word? And I'll never forget it. I was sitting in a small area in Kentucky. This was in a backwoods area at this Bible camp uh, just outside of like the Paducah area. And, and we were at this Bible camp, and I remember sitting at the cement amphitheater, and you could look at it. If you've ever been to Kentucky, the hills were just kind of rolling. It was, everything was green. You could see the, um, just the fog settling between the, 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 all the hills out there. And I was watching this and, and reading God's word. And for the first time in my life, I met Jesus. I was reading through Psalm 46, which says, Be still and know that I'm God. They'll be exalted among the heavens, and I'll be exalted in the nations. And I was reading this thinking, wow, God is real and personal. And I'll never forget that as that mission trip went along, people came up to me and they're like, you look different. I'm like, well, I don't think I'm any taller. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to be, but like, what do you mean I look different? Did I not shower today? Like, what's going on? They're, you look different because they saw something in my life that happened as a result of me meeting Christ. And I never looked back. I actually told my parents, I'm like, hey, will you you start dropping me off at this church on Sunday morning so I can worship here? And they did. (laughs) And I just started owning my faith. And I got to be about a senior in high school, and I went on a missions trip. And this is a whole other story, and my sermon will go way too long if I give you all the details. But the short version is this. I almost lost my life on this missions trip. And as a result of that, I ended up in front of other churches and on the news and a whole kinds of bunch of things happened to our, our youth group as a result of this catastrophe that almost claimed a few of our lives, and I started sharing God's word. And I will never forget it. I was at a church outside of Nashville because we were driving on this missions trip. I was at a church. We got up front. I shared a little bit. I was, uh, I think I was 18 at the time. I shared a little bit about my story, and some man I never knew came up to me and said, son... I can't do the southern accent, so I'm not even going to try. <laughs> he said, you're going to make a good pastor someday. I had never told anybody I had any interest in doing ministry, but God was stirring my heart at that time. And so when I look back on my spiritual lineage, I think the reason that I'm here today, the reason that we're all here today, goes all the way back to God's mission, and it has to do with the mentors and the people in our lives who have poured into us. That's why we're here. And you could apply that to anything. You could apply it to any industry you're in, any family legacy you have, any trade that you know or have learned. That the reason we're here is because of mission, and it's also because of mentoring. So one denomination, the covenant, exists because of mentoring. And our faith is what it is because of the mission and the mentoring combined, and that essentially is called discipleship. And that's how we ended up here. Mission is carried by mentoring. You have to have both of them in order to get where you're at. Think about it this way. My, my youth pastor, um, I actually just reconnected with him, uh, he took us on a missions trip and had the presence of mind to identify that I didn't have a relationship with Christ. And he mentored me. And he brought me into a place where I had to make a decision, but he gave me God's word. He encouraged me how to read it and to pray. And because of that and his influence on my life, I became a pastor ultimately because of mission and mentoring. And mission is carried by mentoring. So today as we look at this passage, my goal for you is actually twofold. I want you to appreciate the mentoring each of you have received to get to where you are now. 
because all of us can say somebody has poured into our lives to get us where we're at now. And the second thing is this, all of you have a role in this mission. All of you have a role. So what is that role and how do you live into it? I'm going to start with this. Mission is God's. Mission is God's. From the very beginning, if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, they call it the Proto-Evangelium, which is a fancy word of saying first gospel. We have this moment when Adam and Eve have sinned, and you have this, this scene where God is saying, okay, here's the result of your sin. And he said that to the serpent, that you will strike the heel of the woman's offspring, but the woman's offspring will eventually crush your head. And what he was alluding to, a lot of scholars believe, and, and I would tend to agree with them looking at the entirety of Scripture, was that in that moment God was saying the offspring of woman would eventually conquer the serpent. And who do we know the offspring of woman to be that conquers the serpent? Eventually that was Jesus Christ, born of a woman, came into this world, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, was crucified, died, resurrected, and by doing so put us in a relationship with God, thereby defeating any control that Satan and any evil has over us. And so this has gone on from the very beginning. God said, and I know he had this in mind because he's infinite and he's all-knowing, his mission to reconcile people back to himself began all the way back in Genesis. It was always his to begin with. It was always God's mission was to bring people into relationship with him. From the first death of an animal to cover Adam and Eve. Have you thought about that? That where did they get the skins that God got for them when they were covered in the garden? An animal had to be sacrificed. Fast forward to the death and resurrection of Christ. It was his death and his sacrifice that eventually covers our sin. The beauty of this is just really fun to unpack. And it's gone, this mission has gone all the way to Matthew 28, which is the passage I want to read to you to give you an illustration of how far this has gone. It should be a familiar one to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even till the very end of the age. Uh, in the church world, this is called the Great Commission, right? That we are commissioned to go, to go and do something. Jesus said this, and imagine had his disciples not done this. <laughs> we wouldn't be sitting here today but they did it. It could not be any more direct. Go and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Uh, if you're familiar with it, and maybe you are and maybe you're not, and I, I'm not going to quiz anyone and put them on the spot, but what is Bethlehem Covenant's mission statement? I wrote it down because I don't have it memorized, but I'll read it to you. Dedicated to making fully devoted followers of Jesus by loving God, loving others, and serving in our world. Pastor Tim didn't come up with that. <laughs> Maybe the person before him came up with it, but ultimately, where does that come from? It comes from Matthew 28, right? That while we as individuals and pastors, we like to add different language to things and, and try to illustrate stuff and, and make it fun and memorable, and, and we want to continue the mission and do so by mentoring and bringing mission statements and have all these fun languages for churches that we serve in, the truth is that it ultimately comes from God. We don't come up with this. Jesus gave this great commission, and we just put the language around it to make it more memorable, 
but it ultimately is from God. So back to the book of Acts. You'll see where I'm going with all this. Acts chapter 11, verse 22. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So what had happened? Persecution spread out all the believers. They were going around. A few of the believers went to the area of Antioch and started preaching the gospel to the Hellenistic Jews, which were Jews that spoke Greek. So they were going and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the Greek-speaking Jews, and as a result, God started doing something. God started moving in their hearts, and they looked and acted different. And the church of Jerusalem gets wind about this, and they're like, what's going on over there in Antioch? Let's send Barnabas to go check and see what's taking place. A couple of things I want to make observations about here. The church was a little slow, <laughs> especially in Acts. Uh, this is my, my biggest beef with, with church in general. Yes, I can say this as a pastor, but I feel this way sometimes about churches. I just want it to move faster. <laughs> I'm, I'm a ready, fire, aim kind of person. Like I'm like, let's just go and then we'll figure it out as we go. Uh, that's just more my personality and my wiring. And so I'm looking at this like, come on. God was, was saying through Jesus, go make disciples of all nations. What part of that didn't you understand? Jerusalem's great, but he said to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, and you guys are still stuck in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit leads them out. And so now they are in this area in Antioch, and God's doing something. But what does the church do? And this is so important to catch. The church didn't all go to Antioch themselves. They didn't all go. They sent one representative. They sent Barnabas. I say that because the temptation is when you hear a message about mission and mentoring and you see this, then there's this maybe place where you're like, maybe I should do missions work. We're all involved in missions work. Not everyone goes on the mission field. Some people do. Some people need to stay home and be the home church. Some people need to raise the funds to get the missionary to where they got to go to share the gospel. Some people need to be the encouragers to go check up on the missions team or, or whatever that looks like. But the whole church of Jerusalem didn't go to Antioch. They sent Barnabas. And they also did it after they communally discerned it. Barnabas didn't just say, oh, something's going on over there. I'm going to go check it out. He was sent by a church. There's value in the local body of Christ coming together to say, where is God working? And what do we do about it? Because that's essentially what happened here. It's consistent with God's word. It was spirit-led. It was focused on a new life from Christ. And it was God's mission from the very, very beginning. So here's where we came in. So Mission is God's. Mission belongs to God. He's the one who came up with it. He commissioned us through Jesus Christ in Matthew 28. And mentoring is ours. Mentoring belongs to us. This is so important. There's a growing trend in our culture. Um, I'm going to share with you three ENCEs, E-N-C-E. There's independence, dependence, and interdependence. Uh, I talk about this a lot, especially when I do marriage counseling or pre-marriage counseling or any kind of mentoring context. So what is independence? Independence is I'm just going to be myself. I'm going to do all my stuff over here, and no one's going to tell me what to do. That's independence. Then dependence is either you're going to do whatever I tell you or I'm going to do whatever you tell me. Interdependence is where we work together. 
See the difference between the three of those? So what I've noticed in church world is that there's this growing trend of people either wanting to be independent, like I don't want anyone to tell me what to do, I'm going to do my faith on my own, and you stay over here and don't, don't judge me. Or there's dependence, hey pastor, tell me what to think, tell me what to believe, tell me what to pray, I need you to help me do these things. That's dependence. Interdependence is much different though. This is how God's worked since the very beginning of time. God didn't tell Adam, here are the names of the animals, you just go call them those names. He didn't do that. He said, Adam, I want you to go name the animals. Notice the partnership there. God gave him direction, but he gave him meaningful work to do, right? There's interdependence. And so here's my point. Mentoring is the good work that God has tasked us with as the church, that if we don't do this, somebody doesn't know about Christ. Somebody doesn't get baptized into his life, his death, and his resurrection. Somebody misses out on who he is and and the beauty of the body of Christ that is so prevalent in church today if we don't mentor. This really hit home to me, um, and I know I was talking to some of you this morning. I've got a 15-year-old who I'm teaching to drive right now. Um, Anyone got their learner's learner's permit and they're learning to drive right now? Anyone in here doing that? Okay. Um, If you've ever had to teach a teenager how to drive, you'll you'll relate with what I'm saying. But here was me. We were in the church parking lot because that's the only place I could find orange cones because I don't own any. So we're we're at Alexandria Covenant in the church parking lot, and I'm setting these orange cones up, and I'm like, ooh, that's kind of a tight spot to park in, so I make them a little wider, and I'm trying to teach my daughter how to park. And and I'm sitting in the passenger seat, and I'm thinking to myself, self... (laughs) If I don't teach my daughter how to drive, how will she ever learn? She might learn the hard way. She could probably go on YouTube, figure some things out, uh, maybe find someone to teach her. But if I don't teach her, she doesn't learn how to drive. And the weight of that started to sit on me. That if my mission is to launch my kids someday as good drivers, as independent, interdependent people who, who know how to, to, to be good, healthy adults and work and live in society and be members of a church, to, in order to do that, I have a responsibility in that. And if I don't do it, my kid doesn't learn how to drive. And let me tell you, those orange cones took a beating that day. <laughs> I might have had to wipe the orange streak off the side of the van, but we had a blast. And I loved on my daughter, and we learned how to get her in the parking spaces, and, and we went through the whole process. And I walked away thinking, you know what? This is really what it is. That mentoring is so important that if we don't do this in our friendships, if we don't do this in our workplaces, if we don't do this in our families, and most importantly, if we don't do this at church, somebody's not going to know about what to do next. They won't know how to follow Christ. They won't know how to drive. They won't know how to run this piece of equipment or the family legacy that they may be carrying down from one generation to the next. Mentoring or lack thereof has big implications, and we all play a part in it. So Acts 11, 23 and 24, look at this with me. So when he, this is Barnabas, arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad that word glad there, uh, it's, uh, English doesn't do it justice. It's like your team just won the Super Bowl glad. Like, fired up. He was super exuberant about it. That's the word. It's in, in Greek, it's a very excited word. And he encouraged them to all remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. 
So notice what Barnabas does. He shows up to Antioch, and then he leaves. No, he doesn't. He starts mentoring. He starts encouraging, and he starts telling the people, okay, stay true to God. Like this momentum that you have, this new life in Christ, okay, let's, let's go. I'm excited about it. He was pumped up about what God was doing, and he was there encouraging them, and the result of that was a great number of people were brought to the Lord, and you see God's Holy Spirit working. You see Barnabas and the way that he is interacting with them, and it was a beautiful picture of a growing church. Others evangelized to start that work. Barnabas came and he discipled. This is a team sport. <laughs> That's church ministry. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9 says this. He said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are God's for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Mentoring is about us, but it's also not about us. <laughs> we need to be obedient to step into areas of mentoring. This is probably the hardest thing for me in ministry. I would love to farm. Because at the end of the day, you can see, okay, yep, those crops went in, they grew, we harvested. There's physical things that get done in the field that you can visibly see. This is my tension with ministry sometimes. Uh, talk to any pastor. You can get to the end of your day and you're like, what, what happened? <laughs> like, I, I thought that I was making progress in this area of the church or that this relationship was going well and then this happened. And, and, and you get to the end of the day, you're like, okay, God, what, what did I do? I just want to move a pile of dirt from here to there and see it's done. But that's not ministry. It just doesn't happen that way. I came to this conclusion uh, probably about 10 years ago in my pastoring life that the measurement of my own success is obedience, not results. Because God's the one who's in charge of the results, not me. My only standard of success for me as a pastor is to show up and to be a mentor, mentor others, and use my spiritual gifts to build God's kingdom. And you know what? That's true for all of us. Because God's word is so explicit that all of you in this room have a spiritual gift if you have the Holy Spirit in you. And the greatest measurement of your and my success is not the result of using it, but it's the obedience to do it. So let's continue with Acts chapter 11, 25 and 26. This is probably my favorite verse in the text today. Verse 25, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. <laughs> okay, time out here. Wait, what? So, so Barnabas shows up, he's doing this church thing, and all these people are coming to the Lord, and what happens in Barnabas' mind between 23 and verse 25? Luke doesn't tell us. But here's what I think happens. I think Barnabas is like, wow, the church is growing. And I want to bring somebody else who I want to teach how to do ministry into this growing church so I can mentor them. That's my own take on it. So why is this so significant? Because Tarsus was 123 miles from Antioch. Now, I drove 54 miles to get here this morning from Alexandria. And yeah, it took me about an hour. 
Like, got here, okay, I'm here, whatever. Like, that wasn't a long time for me. Get in my truck, drive over here, no big deal. 123 miles in the ancient Near East wasn't that easy. (laughs) Barnabas, somewhere in his head, thought, I need to go find Saul and bring him to Antioch. So he takes on the very inconvenient journey of 123 miles to go find him. And then verse 26, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Nobody talks about this, but this this gets me fired up. Do you know who wrote half of the New Testament? It was all inspired by God, yes. But the, the man who God used to write half the New Testament, who was it? It was Paul. No one ever talks about this, but who was the man who mentored Paul? Barnabas. Think about it. If Barnabas didn't go 123 miles to go find Paul, bring him back to Antioch, do ministry with him for a year, and teach him about following Jesus Christ, would Paul have written half of the Bible in the New Testament that we have today? I don't know. I don't know what would have happened, but I do know this. Because Barnabas poured into Saul, he became Paul. Because Barnabas took the time to teach with him, to spend time with him, of course, once you start doing stuff with people, you learn from them. And that's what was happening here. They spent a year together, and because of that, we have the Bible that we have today. I wish that I could see people like Barnabas did. (laughs) Because, do you know what? Saul was the one who started the persecution that split up the church in Jerusalem. He was the one who was standing over Stephen when he was murdered, martyred for his faith. And so the disciples had a good reason to be scared of this guy. Going back to Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, when he came to Jerusalem, so this is Saul, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, of course, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So do you see what happens here? Saul is a persecutor, a murderer of those who call themselves disciples of Jesus Christ. And then he gets this conversion moment that you can go back and read in the early in the book of Acts where he sees Jesus on the road to Damascus and all this stuff happens and now he's following Christ. And Barnabas could have been afraid, but he didn't act in fear. He actively went after Saul. I think that's so beautiful. What if you had somebody in your life that actively pursued you because they saw a gift or a characteristic in you that they wanted to teach you how to do better. Think about how that would feel to you. Barnabas loved Saul. He could see something in him that he wanted to develop. And the thing about developing people is it's never popular, right? It's not always a popular thing to do. And it certainly wasn't convenient, especially in this text. It wasn't popular because the disciples wanted nothing to do with Saul, who eventually was called Paul. I think uh, later in, uh, I think it's in verse chapter 13. It's a little bit later when he gets that name change. Luke kind of subtly does that. But I think Luke put Saul in there because he hadn't quite changed yet. They hadn't known him any differently. Eventually he gets to be known as Paul. 
But Barnabas pursued him. Barnabas developed him. And so what do we do with this? What's the point of this sermon this morning? What's the application? How do you walk out of here as different people? Well, there's, there's two things, really. <laughs> Find one and be one when it comes to mentoring. Find one and be one. You see, we aren't sitting here today if it wasn't for Barnabas and the early disciples discipling somebody else, who then discipled somebody else, who then discipled somebody else. And the entire case study of the Christian movement is successful, first of all, because it's God's mission, done in his power, but second of all, because people mentored each other. That's how it works. Regardless of your age, regardless of your stage in life, regardless of your experience, all of us are called to know Christ and to make him known to find mentors, and to be mentors. A couple of mentoring principles from Acts chapter 11. The first one is this, recognition. Recognition. What if you could see people like Barnabas? Think about that for a second. If you were just to look around this church and think, okay, who is the next Saul? Who is the person that I need to go to because I maybe have something that I can bless them with and recognize that they need to be developed? And think of how that feels when somebody comes to you. You know, you would think that pastors have a whole abundance of mentors in their life. For the first 15 years of my ministry career, I prayed for a mentor. And I didn't find one. Didn't. Of course, I found books and I had professors, but I didn't have anyone just to simply come alongside me like Barnabas did with Saul. And just do life and be in my life and know me and be able to challenge me and push me. And I, I never found somebody like that. And 15 years in, I prayed this prayer for so long. And I asked God, God, give me somebody who can challenge me, do ministry with me. And eventually someone came into my life to do that for me. And that then became a passion of mine because I realized how valuable that is to have a mentor and how much more valuable it is than to be one. And oh, by the way, the second that you enter a relationship with somebody that you're mentoring, it changes everything. You just look at life differently, right? Like I drive differently now because I'm training a new driver. <laughs> Dad, you didn't turn your blinker on. Dad, you ran through that stop sign. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, I got to try a little better at this. So. <laughs> but really, God gave us this role of mentoring to not only change us, but to change people around and to continue the Christian movement. And that's the action piece. May we act when it's not popular, when it's not convenient. It is not convenient to mentor. <laughs> In fact, that was the excuse I got from most people that I asked, and I would literally go to people that I saw had something in ministry that I wanted, I wanted to know about, I wanted to be better, and I'd say, hey, will you mentor me? And they'd always give me two excuses. You could probably guess what they were. <laughs> they didn't have time, and they didn't know what to do. Every single time I ask them that, well, I, I, I don't have enough time for that. Or I'm not sure what to do with you, and, and, and you're a pastor. I don't know if I can mentor you. I'm like, everyone needs mentoring. I just want to know what you know. Sometimes it's not popular. Sometimes we're afraid to enter those relationships because we're not sure what to do. Sometimes it's not convenient. But going back to what I said earlier, obedience is always the measurement of our success. Because as we are obedient, God's power is the one that changes lives. Not anything that I say or you would say. It's God's power. And the third principle is repetition. You see, Barnabas keeps going. 
he keeps mentoring people. <laughs> I mean, he didn't just stop in Antioch. He then said, oh, who else can I mentor? So then he went and got Saul and brought him back. And eventually it was John Mark who he went on a missionary journey with. And, and yeah, there was tension there. Like Paul, Paul and Barnabas had this moment where they split for a while. And then Barnabas took John Mark to go mentor him. And, and there was this mentoring happening all over. Barnabas never quit. He kept going. Until you're dead, you're not done, was his motto, essentially. He just continued to mentor and to love on people. So my question for, for you all today, Bethlehem Covenant, is this. Who, who are you being mentored by? <laughs> Individually, as people. Who, who's mentoring you? And who are you mentoring? Because God calls all of us into these relationships. He, he doesn't call us to be independent Christians or just completely dependent Christians that somebody lives our life for us. He calls us to this relationship of interdependence where we walk with people, we grow with people, the, the early covenant church was started this way. Um, the early covenant church started when a group of individuals said, you know what, if we have the Holy Spirit in us and we all get together and read God's word, then we're going to learn and grow together. And then the state church in Sweden said, oh, no, no, you need a pastor there. You can't do that without some official representation religiously from the state. And so they found ways around that, and they started these small groups, and it grew into then immigration into America, which then they brought this ethos of let's just get together, read God's word, and that's how we essentially got the covenant church. We're people who just were passionate about the word of God, mentoring each other, and reading the Bible. It was a beautiful thing. So my challenge to you guys is this. How will you find one, and how will you be one? Let me pray for you. Um, Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for what Barnabas did in Antioch. God, that he didn't drop the baton, but that he picked it up, he passed it to Paul, who wrote a lot of the Bible and by default mentored a lot of us, but that the very essence of the Christian faith that we have today is because faithful women and faithful men continue to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. And God, I give you that praise. And Lord, I just ask that you would give us conviction as to where you want us as individuals, young, old, married, single, kids, adults, that we would take up and pass on mentoring and be mentored by others. Lord, we love you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.